0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and this week we are going to be discussing a very big milestone episode for a lot of reasons. First off, this is season 1, episode 11, Scarecrow, and it's a milestone for so many reasons, but f- beginning with, this is the first episode in which Dean Winchester proclaims his affection for pie well he orders pie and then this is the first episode that he is attached in any way to pie so we owe John Scheiben the author of this week's uh, episode a hint of gratitude for that one so it was written by John Scheiben and directed by Kim Manners both of whom came to Supernatural, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, from the X-Files. A lot of the crew in early seasons did come from the X-Files, but that's probably why there's a brilliant X-Files character cameo in this episode. The cigarette-smoking man from X-Files plays the professor that Dean goes to visit later in this episode, played by William B. Davis, who... If you've watched The X-Files at all, you recognize him instantly. It just seems weird to see him without a cigarette in his hand (laughs) in this episode. There's a lot of X-Files connections going on in this episode that don't really have anything to do with the plot, but it's just a nice little nod to the episode itself. This episode is set in the fictional town of Burkittsville, Indiana, which i have to point out i think i'm contractually obligated as as a citizen of frederick county maryland to point out that burkittsville maryland which is a real town and like 20 miles from where i'm recording this right now was the setting for the movie the blair witch project so local history for me but burkittsville indiana i believe is a nod to that movie and just the creepiness of the woods setting The I mean, it's woods in Burkittsville, Maryland in the Blair witch project, but here it's an orchard. So one more, I've got so many stupid facts saved up about this episode that have like nothing to do with the plot or anything, but are just like interesting little tidbits. So pardon me while I ramble on about a few more of them before we get started the orchard that's supposed to be an apple orchard in this episode is actually a hazelnut tree orchard. So that's why the trees look weird. That's why they look like that. It's not, they're not actually apple trees, despite the cutely arranged bales of hay with like apple baskets half filled with apples all through them. This episode was also set in April of 2006, but apples aren't harvested in April. They're harvested in like September October. So I don't think that those are fresh apples in those baskets. They've probably I mean apples keep for a really long time when they're when they're cold, which it would would have been all winter in Indiana, but I don't know if they would have kept quite that well. Maybe it's just a factor of it being a magical orchard, who knows. Hazelnut trees that grow apples and people are still able to pick them in the springtime. Interesting. Uh, but I think I just think those are all just funny little things about the the filming of this episode. This is also the first episode in the series where we did not get a then segment. At least my DVDs don't have a, a then segment. So if anyone has seen a then segment that got cut for some reason from the DVDs, interesting, but There is no then segment on the DVDs, so it just goes directly into the cold open of the show, which we will do momentarily because I think I have exhausted my odd little trivia. I mentioned the pie. I mentioned Burkittsville. I mentioned, I think everything else I can mention as we go along because there's a lot to be said about this episode. It's about family and family tradition and It's our first introduction to the the concept of sacrificing and sacrificing one's own family in the name of a supposed greater good. That will become the core of the story for a very, very long time to come, even through finding out Chuck's true role in the whole story and what he believes is the final installment of his own story, sacrificing one for the greater good. Chuck only wanted one of Sam and and Dean for one of them to destroy the other for the greater good, basically. I mean, that's what their final showdown was about. And in the end, that's what the series finale ended up being, even though Chuck had supposedly been defeated. So this is a core key theme in the entire series. There's also the conflict between Sam and Dean that... We really started to focus on last week in Asylum, as Sam confessed under the rage induction therapy from Dr. Ellicott in, in Asylum. He confessed how he feels about Dean, even though he continues to insist that that's not really how he feels about Dean and that it was all just the rage monster. It was what he'd been forced to say because of what, the ghost had done to him and that's sam's excuse a lot of times like i have to mention this because i'm the tnt loop addict so i (laughs) i actually watched season four episode 14 sex and violence today on the tnt loop and that was sam's excuse to dean in that episode while under the siren spell sam said that dean was basically dragging him down that he's weak he's too weak to kill Lilith, to stand up to Lilith. And at the end of the episode, Sam tries to insist that that's not actually how he feels. It was just what the siren made him say. And we'll find out later in season four that, no, Sam really did. It wasn't the siren making Sam feel that Dean was weak. It was the demon blood and the influence of Ruby and Sam's belief that he was the only one who could kill Lilith... And that it was even a good thing to kill Lilith because they bo- they all believed that. But Sam was trying to insist in 414 that it wasn't him. It wasn't how he really felt and trying to make Dean believe that. And Dean doesn't both times gives the sort of similar, yeah, yeah, whatever kind of response to that. But lets it slide, even though he knows that, yeah, this is actually really how Sam thinks. So there's that element of it. There's the element of John finally getting in contact with them in in this episode. This is another big reason this episode is a groundbreaking one. It's our first introduction to Meg. We don't know who or what she is yet. I mean, we all know she's a demon. But this is how she introduces herself to Sam. This is also the episode where Sam and Dean find out from John that it was indeed a demon that killed their mother. So... There's an awful lot going in this episode, so I'm really hoping that this podcast won't go too terribly long, but we should probably best get on it so I can prevent that from happening. And with that, let's go directly to the cold open in Burkittsville, Indiana, one year ago. So flashback to what was going on a year ago, and we see the couple being treated like lambs being led to slaughter basically by this town their car had been tampered with while they ate at the restaurant and were given a free apple pie to take with them even they're on their honeymoon or or recently married their car breaks down conveniently right by the orchard where they had been directed to get back to the highway scarecrow pops down off of his his mount, his, his cross, hang, he's hanging on in this orchard and kills them. Thrilling, cold open. And then we slam to the title card. Because I can't shut up about stuff, the, the woman who plays the cold open victim is also, you may recognize her as Nurse Foreman, a.k.a. The Wraith from season five, episode 11, Sam Interrupted. She dies horribly here, but at least she gets to be a wraith in a few years. The actor who plays Harley Jorgens, the uncle of the girl who helps them stop the Vanner in this episode, who owns the general store or gas station or whatever, also plays Reverend Jim Myers in Sharp Teeth, the episode where Garth in, is with his werewolf family, the werewolf pastor of the family. You can notice in one shot in the cold open where they're looking out into the woods and after their car breaks down and their cell phone isn't working, they see the lights in the distance. You can see the shadow of somebody walking through the trees off to the left side of the screen, just completely irrelevant to the story because somebody probably just didn't notice it in editing, I guess, but, or they didn't have another better shot of, or maybe it was supposed to be spooky looking and somebody's out there who knows, but you can see the shadow of somebody walking between the trees. Probably an editing mistake. And we only get a very quick shot of it, but at the very end of the cold open, when Holly realizes that Vince has been killed, she trips over his body, and we get a very, very quick shot of, like, less than a second probably, of what the scarecrow has done to him. And it's basically just, it's horribly gory like if you pause it on that on that one spot it's just like wow some somebody in the makeup department really went to town on this or in the fx department just made this horrifying they only show it for like a blink and you miss it kind of length of time but wow they really went all out on making this horrible (laughs) so kudos to them i guess After the title card, we go back to the motel that we left Sam and Dean at and have a little bit of a replay of of the end of that scene that we saw of Dean's phone ringing, Dean in bed, and Sam even prodding Dean to answer his phone, not answering it. Dean not even really waking up fully to answer it. Instead, Sam answers the phone. This is another just totally stupid thing that some, I, I saw a post going around recently about how Dean probably doesn't even know what football is, let alone know anything about football or sports in general. And just like on Dean's side of the bed folded up is the sports page. Like he'd been reading it before he went to sleep. So like the notion that he doesn't know anything about sports at all is just ridiculous to me because – there's many times during the series where he proves his knowledge. It's just like, yeah, no, that's that's not a thing. <laughs> He's actively reading. Well, he was actively reading the sports page. It's all folded up now, but he was reading it. He's not ignorant of these things. John has finally called to give them an update, but also to send them out on another hunt. Meanwhile, because it was Sam that answered the phone... He only wants to know about where John is, about how they can get in on, on helping him get the thing that killed Mary and Jessica. Because to Sam now, this is all becoming more real. This episode is the first time he's even mentioned Jess in many episodes. It was almost like he'd moved on with his life a little bit. But now that John's closing in on the thing, this is also the first time he tells Sam that definitely 100% it was a demon that killed Mary and he's getting closer to it, that it's still very dangerous that Sam and Dean need to stay away. And he can't tell them anything more right now because it's dangerous to talk about it. He says demons are everywhere looking for them, trying to stop them. And that, you know, this is a much bigger deal than Sam has any clue about. And yet All Sam can do is be like, no, we're coming to you. We're coming to help. He can't get past that. Kudos to Jared for showing that he's about ready to throw a little tantrum here over John not giving him the answers he wants. As far as we know, this is the first hunt that John has directly sent them on in a long time. I mean, the last hunt we know he directly sent them on was Wendigo. Apparently the coordinates in last week's episode may or may not have been actually from John or just leading them on a wild goose chase or showing them something about themselves that they needed to know to carry the plot forward. But it drove Sam to this breaking point. They've been trying desperately to get in touch with John since the pilot episode. He finally gets in touch with them directly, not through texts or coordinates or cryptic messages in the journal But directly and gives them an order to go someplace that he knows that something bad is happening and Sam and Dean have literally one chance to stop it. It happens this one week of the year, every year, and this is the only time anybody has to stop it could be that John was going to take this one himself this year he'd been following the pattern for the last three years those are the names that he tries to get Sam to take down that Dean ends up taking down Dean ends up doing the research on this case while Sam drives probably to let Sam blow off a little steam but Dean is the one who takes down the names Dean is the one who understands if John says they it's too dangerous for them to go after him and he wants them to stop looking for him because the demons are use literally using this against them like we'll find out in a few more episodes in shadow when they meet meg again the demons were trying to use sam and dean to lure john in to hurt all three of them so john is actually right here i mean it would be better if he actually explained this they're they're using us to try and get at each other like if he just said that maybe sam could have chilled out but no john has to be all super secretive though legit he's probably right demons are listening into them their communications aren't safe dean at least accepts that as logic and tries to do the only thing he can do at this time which is take the case john wants them to take because regardless of what they do Two people are scheduled to die this week, and Sam and Dean have the power to stop it from happening. They may not be able to help with the demon hunt, but they can save these two people's lives and stop whatever it is that's killing two people every single year, probably since that town was founded. So as Dean explains the case to Sam and what he's discovered and what John, the research that John did, he's impressed that John put this case together, finding three Couples that disappeared this same week in April every year on a cross country road trip, and they all their paths crossed through this one part of Indiana. And that's all the information they had. It's not really John that's put this case together, it's Dean who puts this case together. You know, the fact that all three of these couples' roots crossed through this one town before they died and disappeared, like, sure yeah you could notice something like that but where why what made that happen this particular week in april john didn't know any of that he left that to sam and dean to figure out and dean does figure it out very quickly sam is kind of upset that john would send them on this distraction run to save a couple he pulls the car over and tells Dean, no, we're going to California. He knows the area code where John called them from is near Sacramento. He's trying to insist that they turn the car around, basically, and drive to California, which is from where they are in Indiana. It's at least a two-day drive if they t- they take turns and sleep in the car and, like, don't really stop for anything. It's at least a day and a half, two days' drive. Dean tries to give Sam every rationale for staying and working the case you know it's too dangerous dad said stay away we've got to save people work jobs there's people who are going they know for a fact that if they leave if they turn around and go to california within a week two people will be dead because of that choice dean can't live with that sam's like i don't care that's his literal words he says it like three times i don't care he only is single mindedly trying to get answers he's like how old was were you when mom died 4 and he's like jeth died 6 months ago you you have no idea how i feel and sam's like i don't think he has any idea how dean feels having this been his experience since he was 4 not just six months ago, it's not like the hurt of that has gone away in any measure. <laughs> it may not have been the love of his life being killed, but it was his mother for crying out loud, who's a woman Sam had zero attachment to until like two episodes ago. So I don't think Sam understands. I really don't. And I'm a hundred percent with Dean here when he tells Sam he's a self being a selfish bastard. That is an accurate depiction of Sam's current behavior. And I mean, I get it. I feel for him, for his loss of Jess. But again, what's he going to do? Drive out to California? He wants to take one week. He's like, Dean, one week. That's all we need to, to get answers and to get revenge. And okay, How do you know John's still going to be there? Do you think he's actually going to stay by where that phone booth was he called you from or that he's going to hightail it out of there as fast as possible to somewhere where you don't know where he is again? What makes you think he's just going to stay there for the two days it takes you to drive out there? And in the meantime, you consciously have created the ability for two people to be murdered. Like, knowing that was going to happen to two other people, you just chose to hair off on a wild goose chase again and i just i can't i i mean i get he's frustrated but again i cannot identify sam i cannot identify with your choices (laughs) dean accuses sam of just doing whatever he wants no matter what anyone else thinks and sam's like is that is that what you really think and dean's like yeah and i mean honestly sam as he's been portrayed to this point on the show That's an accurate summation of his character. He does whatever he wants. He only very reluctantly follows any quote-unquote orders he's given, even when it's like, this is for the sake of practicality, for for us progressing in our lives and taking care of this hunt. And so he tells Dean he wants him to leave him there, and Dean drives off, leaving Sam to hike back to, towards California in the dark and in the middle of nowhere. And Dean heads off to Burkittsville or he, eventually he arrives in Burkittsville to investigate this case that he's been sent on. Because even if Sam doesn't give a crap, Dean is not going to let two innocent people die again this year when he has the power to stop it. I just needed to point out Sam's behavior here and his feelings because of the previous week's episode when he talked about Dean being weak and not being able to stand up to John, because that's going to come in really relevant later in this episode, but also again in shadow in a few episodes down the road when he meets up with Meg again. Barkitsville's the third town Dean claims to have been to looking into see if anyone has recognizes the missing people from the previous year. He claims to be a friend of theirs who's trying to figure out what happened to them. He uses the alias John Bonham, which Scotty, at the cafe in Burkittsville, recognizes as the drummer for Led Zeppelin, so poor Dean. Before he gets out of the car, though, he looks through his contact list on his phone, and he's got like half a dozen people in there, barely anybody. He doesn't have a lot of contacts in his life, and then scrolls down to Sam's name and decides no he's just going to let him go. He he's like sort of working himself up to apologize to Sam for how he talked to him previous night, but he's not quite there yet. So he goes he gets out of the car and goes to investigate at the cafe. Everyone in town claims not to recognize the people from the previous year, but Dean catches on to some things being a little bit fishy around town and keeps snooping we cut to sam's first encounter with meg as he's walking down this deserted road in the drizzly not very nice day in the middle of absolutely nowhere she's just sitting on the side of the road listening to music not paying attention her back turned to him and to the direction of traffic that she should be looking out for a car to be coming if she's hitchhiking she just camped there sitting on the side of the road as if this was like a normal place to do this and doesn't even really notice sam coming up on her but obviously was expecting him to be there because you know we all know who meg is we're not going to be coy about how we talk about characters that we already understand their entire arc so it was clearly she planted herself there to spy on Sam to manipulate Sam to get inside Sam's head a little bit to plant herself in his life so that he would recognize her again in the future she doesn't really know the bigger plan you know at the end of the episode when she calls her quote-unquote father I could have killed Sam I could have killed both of them why am I being forbidden from doing that and she is told something similar to what John is telling Sam There's a bigger plan. I can't tell you what it is. You just have to trust me on this. We have to stick to the plan. Because as we will learn many seasons later, even Azazel didn't really know the bigger plan. The whole apocalypse story arc. He just knew his part in it and setting things up and manipulating things. And Meg at this point knows even less than that. So it's interesting to see her asking the same sorts of questions of her own father figure who we will later find out is Azazel that Sam is asking of his own father so they're both kind of in the same weird little boat here except Sam wants to find his mother's killer Meg is her father is the one who arranged Sam's mother's killer and Jess's death you know so yeah it's <laughs> interesting parallel when you can see the whole long arc of it. But that was our first introduction to Meg. She gets in the shady in the van with the shady dude and leaves Sam on the roadside. Meanwhile, back in Barkettsville, Dean goes into the general store, which is attached to the auto garage where all the victims are sent to have their cars tampered with before they're ritually sacrificed there's a little detail in this scene that was clearly set up to be more in the overarching story we see very clearly a close-up of harley jorgens the uncle he holds his hand up to his face while he's studying the picture trying to recall if he'd ever seen the previous year's victims before and he's got a really intricate not work sort of ring on his right hand We'll see later in the diner before Dean is escorted out of town by the sheriff. The sheriff very deliberately puts his hands on the table and they zoom in for just a frame or a few frames on his ring. He's got a similar ring on his right hand as well. It's also the pattern carved in the Vonner's tree, the one the original apple tree in the orchard brought to this country by the forefathers of this town so that ring was supposed to be a hint or a pattern or a clue but the scene in which they zoom in on the sheriffs is actually a deleted scene so you don't really see that in the episode i guess they figured it was too much of a a clue or they didn't have all the people who are participating in this ritual wearing the rings as identifiers it, it feels like something they that was halfway thought through and then abandoned as a as a sign, but it's still interesting to see the ring so clearly on his finger here because at the end of the episode that's how they identify the correct apple tree to burn. It has the same pattern carved in it. Neither of the older couple in the general store admits to recognizing any the, the missing people. It's their niece, Emily, who is apparently uninitiated in their ritual of killing a couple every year to keep the town thriving, to sacrifice people to this god that brings their town prosperity. She recognizes the guy because she remembers his distinctive tattoo. That prompts them to have to confess, oh yeah, we gave them directions and sent them out of town toward the highway. Dean asks for those same directions, and because Emily's standing right there, they give Dean the same directions. Dean probably would have driven right past the apple orchard, except his EMF meter in his bag on the back seat starts going nuts as he drives past the orchard. It prompts him to pull over and examine the EMF meter, like, stop making this noise, please. But he looks out into the field and and notices the scarecrow out there because dean's not an idiot he starts to put pieces of the puzzle together and realizes something is going on here and this is where these people died and i have to say here that the whole plot of this episode with a god creature offering protection and prosperity to a whole town based on annual sacrifices to it is basically the exact same plot of season 12 episode 18 the memory remains where the god moloch with the meat packing town so this is apples that's meat the family who owned the packing factory and basically owned the entire town had prospered and thrived and become wealthy because of their yearly sacrifices to to a god they kept locked in the basement so same concept kind of the same resolution kind of killed by your own god <laughs> but this is the original iteration of it it's, it's not really the god that is the monstrous one in this case it's the people who are willing to sacrifice their fellow humans to the god for their own personal greed so dean goes and investigates the orchard discovers the scarecrow, puts all the pieces together very quickly, like literally the scarecrow was pieced together from the bodies of its previous victims because he recognizes the tattoo on its arm from last year's victim. We get the classic, you fugly, (laughs) as he evaluates the scarecrow and realizes exactly what's been going on here. He goes back to town and meets up with Emily at the gas station, pulls up to the pump and asks her to fill up his tank for him. And it's just like, dude, fill up your own tank. Don't make her do it. (laughs) But uh, he he talks to her and finds out that she's only lived there since she was 13 when her parents both died in a car accident. And it kind of makes you wonder, did her parents die in a car accident? Or were they one of this town's victims? The couple sacrificed to the honor that year and she was taken in by her aunt and uncle. And God, I even had the passing thought that what if they really aren't her aunt and uncle and they just took her in after her parents? They, you know, they sacrificed her parents to this thing. Gosh, wouldn't that be just horrible? But I mean, they obviously care about her. They regret when they have to try and sacrifice her to the honor, but they still do it anyways but if they sacrificed her parents and they are blood relatives then it's not surprising that they would be willing to sacrifice anyone else other than themselves dean asks her if she likes living there and she says yeah it's the boonies but i love it because our town it's almost like our town is blessed other towns around them have been People have been losing their homes, their crops are dying off, and they're not having a profitable harvest anymore. But their town is special because every year they have this more than an abundant crop. It's almost like they're blessed. And she has no idea that they kind of are by this human sacrifice that takes place for the town once a year. She doesn't even suspect anything, at least as far as Dean can tell. There is another car there being serviced for a couple who had just driven through town that day, so Dean now has to go find them and warn them away from the orchard. Meanwhile, we find Sam has finally made it to a bus station, and he's trying to get a ticket for California, but there are no buses running until the next day, so he's basically stuck there unless he wants to buy a car or, as he will later choose, to steal one, And of course, at this bus station, he finds Meg again, because of course he does. Like Dean did as he pulled into Burkittsville, Sam pulls out his phone and is contemplating calling Dean, probably to apologize, but Meg distracts him, and so Sam puts his phone away for now. So good timing there on interrupting him from actually reconciling with Dean, I don't know Maybe her goal was to just keep them split up, to stay with Sam if she could, and she failed at that, which, yay, always good when you can have the demons plan fail. But she tries to get in on Sam's good side here. It is interesting, though, that Meg is the first one who's been able to get Sam to chill out just a little bit, you know, if you've been waiting for something for so long, then what's one more day? You know, it's not going to destroy your life that the next bus isn't leaving until the the next day. Sam actually chills out a little bit enough to like smile at her and relax, which good for Sam because holding that much stress inside yourself has just got to be bad for you. Back in Burkittsville, Dean goes back into Scotty's and finds the couple there being given free slices of their famous apple pie because Burkittsville is apparently known for its apples probably because they have a god growing them in their orchard anyway they're uh on the house free pie for this couple. so pie in the show tends to be associated with slaughter like this is the least they can do for the people who are sacrificing their lives you know give them a slice of pie before they go off to die pie doesn't have the most positive connotations in the show and luckily dean never actually gets served the pie so Even when they were getting ready to sacrifice him, he still didn't get any pie, and that's just a damn shame. But Dean comes in, and Scotty basically ignores him entirely, comes in and says, you know, I'm going to get a cup of coffee and a slice of that pie. So while Scotty proceeds to ignore him completely, Dean tries to make nice, pleasant conversation with these people. They explain, we were just passing through town, and we're told by the people at the garage that we had a leaking brake line they probably saved our lives and that their car will be fixed by sundown and dean's like that doesn't sound right you know i know a thing or two about cars i could probably get you up and running in an hour and they're like oh no we'd rather the mechanic did it dean is trying to think of a way to tell these people that their lives are in danger and they need to go claim their car now or (laughs) to stay the hell away from the orchard but of course they don't believe him and scotty has now called the sheriff to come and kick dean out of town the sheriff comes in and basically makes dean look like the least trustworthy person for making proclamations about you know kicking him out of town in front of these people in the cutscene that i mentioned it's the only cutscene from this episode the sheriff lists some of the complaints against dean as vagrancy and harassment and stuff and it's like really vagrancy because he's been hanging around your town all day patronizing shops and talking to people like okay he got gas at your gas station and went into your general store and now he's ordered coffee and pie at a restaurant like that's vagrancy now okay but of course that doesn't put any trust in dean from these two people who are next on the Vonner's sacrifice list. So Dean gets the official police escort with lights and sirens and everything right out of town. And oddly enough, on a normal, big, regular old road, not the one that runs past the orchard. So there is another way out of town. All these people just, I guess this was the era before GPS really became a thing. And people relied on bad maps and especially in back roads like this, you wonder how any of these people even wound up in this town at all to become sacrifices. If this place is that obscure, like, that, you have to get super lost to even find this town. How are are they luring people in? Is that why they've had to sacrifice members of their own community in the past? They did everything short of, like, driving out to the highway and advertising the special on pie to lure people in. Meanwhile, back at the bus station, Sam is talking with Meg. And we hear Meg's, of course, as we know it, fake backstory. She probably picked things up from her meat suits history of why she left home or whatever. Or maybe just made it up out of whole cloth. Who even knows? But it's a story that Sam finds sympathetic. And it plays right into the selfish anger that Sam has been expressing since basically the beginning of the series about choosing his own path in life and why that's important to him and learning that you know meg is a demon specifically to manipulate him in this scene really emphasizes just how negatively the story judges sam's belief in this and his choices and actions in the early part of the series like Oh, yes, we actively had to parallel you to a demon in order f- for you to find a character you found sympathetic. Hmm, that's <laughs> that maybe says something about your personal attitudes. But the story she gives Sam was that her family wanted what's best for her and she knows that they loved her, but they wanted her to do it their way, like follow their rules, do what they wanted for her. And she just understands they had her her best interest at heart but she couldn't take them telling her and she she was just supposed to sit there and accept what they told her to do so she set off to make her own life and even though it's difficult for her at least it's her own you know so even though she's basically hitchhiking and alone in the world living completely isolated except for strange people she meets on the road. And this is the impression Sam has of her, not knowing she's a demon sent there specifically to mess with him. Because we don't even learn that in this episode. But Sam smiles at this and says, yeah, that's the same reason that he left his brother. Because his brother was the same way as her controlling parents who were trying to tell her how to live her life and tell her what to do and it's just one of the key thing that she says that just doesn't really make sense unless you understand the whole thing about Sam and his, and his intelligence and it, the fact that he did. Yeah, he went to Stanford. You know, morons don't get into Stanford. But she says, I had to be smart, but not too smart to that I'd scare away a husband. And it's just like, really, is that what Sam is thinking about himself That John wouldn't let him be too smart or that Dean won't let him be too smart and that he has to like downplay his intelligence to to be around them or to coexist with them. And it's just yuck. Really, Sam? Really? Do you really think of yourself as that much smarter than Dean? I am have issues with that. So Meg makes a toast to us the food might be bad and the beds might be hard but at least we're living our own lives and nobody else's and just the deep irony of that knowing not just that meg is absolutely not living her own life she's following orders from her own father that Sam thinks he's living his own life he thinks he's seeking freedom by he thinks he's seeking freedom by going after John and getting in on on the revenge mission because as he's looking at this right now he's trapped in this hunting life he can't go back to his normal life right now because of this revenge quest that he's been on finding Jess's killer stopping the the thing that killed Mary and essentially being able to lay this entire portion of his life to rest and move on, move if not back to Stanford, move on to his own freedom from hunting, from this life, from having to take orders from anybody. He sees killing the thing that killed Mary and made his life into what it was his entire life revenge for him is more than just about getting revenge for jess's death it's about freeing himself from this life once and for all and oh sam oh sam i feel for you hun because to you right now this looks like light at the end of the tunnel but that tunnel is years long and you'll never really see the light at the end of it so sorry i guess But, yeah, Sam's eyes are about to be opened. Dean, at least, is a bigger picture kind of guy. He sees more than just that one mission that they're on currently. He's able to adapt and become what he needs to be on any given day. And Sam just, he can't. He's never been able to, and he is not able to yet. Meanwhile, night has fallen and Dean is driving back into Burkittsville the same way that he was ceremoniously escorted out of town earlier in the day. Now he's driving back, but his goal is not to go back to town. It's to go to the orchard. Ominous that a train crosses over the tracks just after Dean uh, drives under a railroad bridge. (laughs) It's funny because it's a Canadian train. So, obviously, this was filmed in Canada. The couple from Scotty's Diner are already walking through the orchard saying, I can't believe we just got the car fixed. I can't believe it broke down. And it's like, dude, Dean was trying to warn you about this. He literally warned you about this, and you trusted the mechanic that Dean was trying to warn you off of instead. So, the scarecrow chases them for a bit and they run right into Dean who has a shotgun and tells them to get back to their car and starts shooting at the scarecrow. And they all make it to the road by the Impala. And the dude's like, what the hell was that? And Dean's like, you don't want to know you re- just don't go back into that town. <laughs> we assume Dean it was nice enough to actually fix their car this time. Instead of just pretending to fix their car. But luckily, these people escape to freedom. The next day, as Dean's driving to get information about what local lore may be on what sort of pagan gods might be active in the area, Dean finally gets in touch with Sam and explains the case as he's figured it out to this point, that it's a pagan god, that the townspeople are making sacrifices to it, and they're in on it fattening up their victims and sending them off and sam's putting the pieces together and dean makes a joke about the fact that he has to go to this community college to do some research because he doesn't have his his geek boy to do the research for him and sam's like if you're hinting that you want me to come help just ask dean's like no i'm not i'm not and i think sam might be a little bit offended or hurt or surprised by this because Dean does know how to do research on his own. He's not completely incompetent, Sam. He doesn't need you to be the intelligent one in the group. But in this case, because we know demons are active and actively involved, that Dean really did need Sam's help here. And he, he was being led away on purpose for some reason. But Dean actually manages to get out an apology to Sam here. And sort of, he... he, he stumbles over his words a bit but sam understands what he's trying to say and is like yeah i'm sorry too and then dean takes that even further dean tells sam that he's always admired the way that sam knows what he wants and goes after it that he stands up to john dean starts to say i wish i like how was he going to finish that sentence i wish i could stand up to dad i wish i had chosen my own path and taken it and regardless of anything else and that is heartbreaking since we know how many times dean was given a chance to take a different path and he stayed he didn't choose to leave when he could have because the thing that drew him back was protecting sam from their life from john from hunting doing what he could to keep sam safe that dean could have left many times over the years the obvious one we always think of is when he was at Sonny's boys home when he was arrested and sam got sent off to bobby's for a month or two or whatever then john forced dean to lie to sam about where he was and why that He wasn't off working something else when he was 16 years old. He was being punished by John by being sent to this boy's home. And Sam never knew about it. Sonny offered to say, he said, you know, if you want to stay, I'll fight for you to stay. And Dean had a life there. He could have had a girlfriend. He could have had a normal life growing up at Sonny's or finishing off his high school career at Sonny's at least. But he saw Sam in the car and he was considering staying. And then he's like, no, I can't. I can't. Because then Sam would be alone with John and there would be nobody to stand in between John and Sam. And Sam wouldn't be able to stand up to John for long because John would just crush him into the person that Dean had become to protect Sam from that. And it's just heartbreaking, that little I wish I from Dean in this case. And obviously, we won't know any of these other things about Dean and his childhood and and where he could have had a chance to jump off this train that he's committed his life to now. And even in season 14, when he finally meets John again in Lebanon, Sam's like, what if we could send him back earlier so that he would remember, you know, know these things about the demon and we wouldn't have to go through all of this Dean's like, I wouldn't do it even if that was a possibility because I am who I am because of the life that I've lived. I don't even know who I would be otherwise. Would I even be the same person? Like, he's good with who he is. He's accepted his life. He's accepted his family. He's accepted who he is. And Sam has always fought against that to the point where Sam's recurring role is always running away from hunting trying to chop this part of his life off or just pretend it doesn't exist at all and just dean can't do that he is who he is and he accepts himself as that and for sam this is the first this is just the beginning of sam's journey to that sam's still going through the anger and loss that dean has been feeling his entire life he's only six months into this he's got a long way to go and already sam's misinterpretation of dean and his actions and his thoughts on the matter sam is having to reconsider everything he'd thought about dean before that maybe he wasn't just being a jerk who was trying to control my life maybe he really was just trying to do the best for me because now he's letting me go he's saying yes go live your life be happy let me know when you find dad and you know take care of yourself Dean has effectively said, if if this is where you get off this train, I have to accept that because I can't change it. I don't think Sam believed Dean was capable of doing that. I think that's why when he left for Stanford, he cut ties with Dean. He was afraid Dean would try and pull him back into this just as much as John did. I don't know how much daylight Sam ever saw between Dean and John. And this is where that begins to shift as well that Sam would choose Dean over John every day of the week at this point. And he always probably would have, but now he sort of knows it consciously. Meg talks to Sam, asks who he was talking to on the phone, and he says it was his brother. And she's like trying to dig for why, what they were talking about. She probably heard everything Sam said on the phone about the scarecrow and everything because she's, you know, She wasn't sleeping over in the corner. She's a demon. She was just lying there, listening. She's like, well, what did he say? And Sam's like, he said goodbye. So he gets it. He gets that Dean was releasing him, except nobody was releasing Dean because he was at his appointment with the cigarette-smoking man, whose character name I can't remember because every time I see his face, all I think of is the cigarette-smoking man, the professor at the local community college. Who lays out what the mythology of the people who settled in the area was, leads Dean directly to information about the Vonner, who, you know, it's the second page he opened to in this big book that he agreed to show Dean. Except it was all just a distraction to keep Dean there long enough for the sheriff to show up and cold cock him in the face with the butt of a shotgun. So pleasant experiences for Dean. He's now officially become the next victim of the Vonner. It's the last night of the cycle for this year, or else their fields will begin to die. Apparently they already are beginning to die because outside in the rain is the four townspeople, Scotty, the Jorgens, Emily's aunt and uncle who own the general store and the gas station, and the sheriff. And now we know that the professor guy the cigarette smoking man was probably at least aware of the honor in this field. It's funny how Dean was asking, well, if you torch the tree, would that kill the, the God associated with it? And he's like, you understand these are just legends. And it's like, they all are in on it already. They know it's real. They know they have to sacrifice to it every year. And yet Dean still gets patronized for believing it or for even asking about if it was theoretical for possible for torching the tree to kill the God, like he still gets, you understand this is not reality, right? Son kind of attitude from people who are setting him up to become the next victim of the thing. So poor Dean, he just never gets taken seriously, does he? But the four people back in town talking about, you know, it's okay. We understand we have to sacrifice the boy, meaning Dean, but why her? Meaning, as we'll find out, Emily, who is being sacrificed because they are out of other options. And none of them thought, well, maybe it's our turn this year to sacrifice ourselves. Like, none of them considered that. To them, it somebody's got to keep the town going, right? But, you know, what's the point at that point when you're unwilling to sacrifice yourself? So, hey, I just had to point out how selfishly they were behaving. Only their needs come first and everybody else be damned. Kind of like Sam was at the beginning of this episode. You know, I don't care. He's going off to do whatever he wants to do, no matter if other people die because of it. So these people who run this town, even if it's their loved one who's got to die for it, they're not willing to, do, to sacrifice themselves. So we cut to Emily being led down into a cellar where Dean has also been stowed away for later sacrifice purposes and she asks her aunt and uncle why are you doing this and her aunt just looks down at her and says for the common good and then shuts the door in her face. That doesn't sound very common or good. Then We cut back to the bus station where Meg is informing Sam that their bus has arrived and it's time for them to go to California Except Sam is on his phone. He's been unable to reach Dean for hours. He'd only just recently spoken to Dean. I don't know if he was just telling Dean, yeah, my bus is leaving. I'm, I'm going now. Goodbye kind of deal, even though they'd already technically said goodbye to one another. But the fact that Dean wasn't answering his phone had him concerned. We know that phones cut out by that orchard, so Dean wouldn't be able to get a phone call even if he was fine. Because he's in a no reception zone. But that prods Sam to finally make his first trip to Burkittsville to investigate. He leaves Meg to go off on her own to take the bus if she so chooses. Which we will see that she doesn't choose. She chooses another shady guy in a van. He steals a car and drives back to Burkittsville. Drives to the orchard where Dean told him the sacrifices were happening as if he knew that if this had, ha- if Dean wasn't answering his phone, it was because Dean was in that orchard and needed his help. I don't know if Sam knew that Dean would be tied to a tree when he got there or if he would just be staking out for wherever the next victim is and trying to save them. But either way, he felt that Dean needed help. Meanwhile, down in the cellar, Dean is having to explain all of this to Emily, like why they're being sacrificed because being sacrificed is classier than being killed. Dean suggests, Um, which I don't think it really makes a difference either way. But Emily is just horrified that her family had been involved with this. And Dean's trying to say, well, I'm going to need your help to find the tree that we have to burn to stop this from happening again. And her idyllic life everything she'd believed about being in a blessed town or whatever she's completely turned around on any of those beliefs meanwhile dean is asking them how much blood is on your hands how many people have you killed and the sheriff tells him we don't kill them and it's like well you certainly do set them up you point them in that direction and you know exactly what's going to happen to them and you've still chosen yourselves over the lives of these innocent people you may not be the one holding the knife when they die, but you may as well be. And in this scene where Dean and Emily are being tied to the trees and the four people from the town who who have been responsible for all of this, there's just so much in this scene, in this conversation between Emily and Stacy, her aunt, that I n- need to focus on here because Emily is like... I don't understand why are you doing this Stacy her aunt says because it's our responsibility there's nobody else this is our last chance and you're the only one who we can sacrifice and again I ask you why 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 wouldn't you sacrifice yourself because it's your responsibility to find sacrifices every year like maybe if you if it was really for the good of the town you would have walked into the orchard yourself like, you don't sacrifice your loved ones for that. Her uncle says, I'm sorry, I wish it wasn't you. And her aunt says, there's just no other choice. And and it's like, there's always a choice. I frequently say the worst thing they say on this show is, we didn't have a choice. I had no other choice. I had to. There was no other choice. It's just the worst thing you can say on the show, because it means that you gave up on finding another option. The best thing on the show is we'll find another way. Right. And Dean even struggles with that one himself over and over again. They all struggle with that one. But there's always a better way than doing the thing that you think you have no choice but to do. This whole fate versus free will. It's like you all have free will. You are making this choice. You could choose not to kill people or to not to sacrifice people to this God. You could choose to let your town die and either find something else to do with your lives or move somewhere else where you can be prosperous without having to slaughter people to do it. Just because it's tradition doesn't mean it's good. And just because it's been the way you've lived your whole life to this point doesn't mean it's the only way to, to live your life. And you always had a choice but stacy explains to emily that that's what sacrifice means you know emily is like i'm your family as a motivator for them to not sacrifice her to this god i'm your family you would even sacrifice that and this is something else that will come up over and over again that even to chuck's final narrative sacrificing his family so that for the greater good so that the world could be um, why he sacrificed Amara to lock her up for the rest of existence to come to pass couldn't have if he hadn't locked her up well this is the Chuck narrative this is it here in this episode again so much of this story is about this same refrain that one has to be locked away put aside sacrificed killed for the other to have plenty and and a good life and whatever they wanted and all the options available it's like they always had a choice chuck could have sacrificed himself and allowed the world to be without him but he couldn't do that any story where that didn't happen is a story where he won basically sorry i'm back on the finale again get me off this train i'm going back to the the orchard here i swear but sacrifice means, according to Stacy here, giving up something you love for the greater good. She's doing this in the name of the town and keeping the town safe and keeping the orchards healthy and the apples that they're famous for fruiting for years to come. It's just, and she says the good of the many outweighs the good of the one. And it's like, yeah, but is it really for the greater good or is it your selfishness? Are you just being that selfish that you can't let go of this prosperity that you have, this abundance that you have, and work for something else for yourself? Sacrifice doesn't mean giving up something you love for the greater good, because it's not for the greater good. It's for your personal good. Like, yes, the town, the town, the town, the rest of the town. Doesn't really even know what you're up to. It's the four of you. It's for your personal gain. That's what it's for. And just admit that. And here is where we get one of Dean's iconic lines as the four townspeople leave them abandoned, tied to the trees in the orchard, and he shouts, I hope your apple pie is freaking worth it! Because, honestly, I say that a lot. I say that every time I see an apple pie in the grocery store, man. I am just... Um, I'm an idiot. What can I say? Anyway, (laughs) so Emily asks if he's got a plan and he's like, I'm working on it. And then it comes back after dark, like fades to as time passes. And it's the sky is dark again when they come back. And she's like, you don't have a plan, do you? And he's like, I'm working on it. And uh, luckily for them, that's about when emily hears hears something crunching in the woods and she thinks it's the scarecrow but it turns out to be sam having finally arrived after after stealing the car and driving from the bus station and finally finding the orchard he cuts them loose and just in time because the scarecrow is already down off his perch they try and make a run for it and of course Dean's like, yeah, we'll just get to safety. We'll come back and torch the tree tomorrow. Sam was all ready to torch the tree right there on the spot. But yeah, they just need to get out of that orchard right now. Except, of course, the townspeople were standing guard and are not going to let them just walk out. So now all three of them are at gunpoint being held in this orchard. Emily begs once again for them to just let them go. And um, as, as her Uncle Harley is telling her... Emily, you just have to let him take you. You have to. You just have to. And the Scarecrow sneaks up behind him. And his scythe goes right through Uncle Harley's heart. And the Scarecrow decided, Wow, man, you're a real asshole. I'm taking you instead. And then he grabs Harley and Stacy and drags them both off into the orchard, never to be seen from again. So... The orchard would have survived another year until the following spring, except Sam and Dean, of course, are not going to let that happen. So even though the Vonner got his his sacrifice for this year, even though he had to take it out of the people who served him, his sacrifices every year, his devotees, he's not going to survive another year anyways. Bye bye, fugly. So they go back to the orchard the next day with Emily and she together they find the tree that has the carvings one big old tree that looks different from every other tree in this orchard because it look actually looks like an apple tree compared to the rest of them sam covers it with gasoline the carvings on it that matched the townspeople's rings as the sign that this is the correct tree dean lights a stick and emily takes it and says let me and he's like you know the whole town is gonna die now and she says good like if that's what it takes to sustain this then it's best it's not sustained let it die and become whatever nature would have it be because this is unsustainable you can't just do this then just sacrifice like this out of greed basically to have something that is not otherwise possible to have here after the tree burns, they take Emily back to Sam's little bus station and put her on a bus to Boston. Hopefully she's going to have a, a, a good life there. Like, I hope she had some family there, somebody that they were sending her to and just hadn't randomly picked Boston off a map. Like, that's an expensive place to go without any sort of support from the middle of nowhere, Indiana to Boston. Like, yeah, that that's a culture shock moment. So hopefully she's got somebody she she knows or who knows her in in that town to be sending her to. But uh, Dean, in all sincerity, asks Sam, is there someplace you want me to drop you off? Like, do you need a ride somewhere? Like, he fully would accept Sam leaving again at this point. He Dean would be perfectly content to let Sam go again. And Sam's like, no, you were right. You're stuck with me. You know, we're all that that each other has left. And my God, that's a sad sentiment. And it's even sadder when Dean tells it to marry in season 12. Like it's, yeah, me and Sam, all we have left is each, all we have is each other. That's so not true, Dean. It, it may be at this point in the narrative, but in no way is that true in season 12. Y'all have all kinds of people who care about you and who you care about You know, not just Cass, but like Jody and Donna and Claire and Alex and Garth. And like, y'all have so many people you care about. And Eileen was, dude, y'all had so many people at that point. I mean, it's just frustrating to me. It's just so frustrating to me. I mean, even Rowena was friends with you all at that point. Like, come on. You can't just claim that all you and Sam had was each other. That is just patently untrue at that point. At this point in the narrative, in season one, it is kind of true. We saw Dean's cell phone list. There's, like, four people on it. And one of them's Sam and one of them's John. So, like, like, they really were isolated as young people. But they build a family of their own and they work towards that. You know, at this point, I'm really glad for Sam to have figured this out. And if Dean, of course, after his heartfelt little speech, very depressing, heartfelt little speech, Dean has to brush it off with, hold me, Sammy. You know, he has to make make a joke out of it and walk away. And it lightens the mood of everybody because then they can joke about, yeah, you owe me because you were toast if I hadn't come back kind of thing. And Dean's like, oh, no, I had a plan, you know, and God, God even knows what his plan was. It was likely to have been eaten by the scarecrow. And (laughs) I mean, he was tied to a tree. It's not like he could really do anything unless he had like a pocket knife up his sleeve, which I don't think he did. (laughs) Like he was pretty well and truly stuck there. So good thing Sam did come back for him. I think Dean halfway hoped or expected Sam to come back. In a weird way. But whatever. Irrelevant. What we need to talk about right now, though, is Meg going off at the final scene with another shady guy in a van, tells him to pull over, that she has to make a call, pulls out her blood bowl, and talks to her father, gets the whole lowdown on, why wasn't I allowed to kill him? I could have killed both of them. And yes, yes, father, yes, father. So she's taking orders from her family just as much as Sam ever was. And we know she's a demon, so that's why. But there's a bigger plan afoot that neither Sam nor Dean is aware of yet, and John is trying to keep hidden from them, which probably is not a good thing in the long term. We know what not talking to each other, how that always results in problems for everybody on the show. But not talking to each other in the name of protecting your loved ones from trouble and it never protects them like guys come on you good intentions bad results it's just ah, so frustrating one last thing about the whole we're all we've got it shouldn't have been the end of the show it shouldn't have been we're all we had was each other that's just the most depressing thing is that was the low point of season one was the fact that they didn't have anyone else but each other and yet it's supposed to be the happy climax of season 15 that all they really had was each other and when Dean died oh Sam just went off and lived his normal life finally are you trying to tell me that after 15 years of character growth this is where the show ended on a point that would have fit as a halfway through episode 11 of the entire series as a finale point where Dean was ready to, re- to let Sam go live his own life, to make his own choices, to choose his own path. And then Sam was prepared to do that as long as Dean didn't need him. Like, you can go now. You can go now at the end, at the very end of the series that Dean would just be like. Yeah, forget I ever existed. Forget hunting ever was a thing. Go be normal and be happy. And then then they meet up again in heaven. Like, basically, the series finale had the same episode structure and emotional beats as this episode, right down to the friggin' pie. So, <sighs> the apple pie in the end, at the end of season 15, was never friggin' worth it. Because Dean didn't even get to eat that pie. It got smashed in his face. I feel like I've just rewatched the series finale. And in a bad way. Like, not that watching the series finale is ever a good thing. But I feel like if you ripped off episode 11 of the entire series for the series finale, you done fucked up somewhere. (laughs) It should not be. (laughs) That's that's not how... that's not what coming full circle means <laughs> like that, that's not how you tell a story anyway so back to this once again let's try and get through this here <laughs> who am i telling that to i'm telling myself god because i'm the only one who's talking y'all are just stuck listening to me or you know you could have hit fast forward by now i suppose whatever anyway anyway So Meg's in the van with the shady dude who she kills to talk to her father and get orders. And that's where we end this episode. She is obviously some sort of evil, which we will find out eventually. And on that note, the episode ends great that Sam and Dean are back together, recommitted to this, not just finding John, but waiting to hear from him on what their next step should be because they don't have enough information to to decide what to do or to know what to do or where to go or how to keep themselves safe. And by keeping them out of the loop, John is thinking logically he was protecting his children. He didn't want to put them in the crosshairs of the demons that he's chasing and hunting. But John himself doesn't really understand that there is a much bigger picture here. I think he knows to some extent the special children exist and something had been done to Sam, but he doesn't understand the much bigger picture of why all of this is happening. He doesn't even understand it at the end of season two when they finally get Azazel He expected that to be the end of the road. He expected that to be the end of their fight, that they would finally be free from that. And they never, of course, were, because the fight was never just about that, that little part of it that John knew about, and that he believed he had freed his sons from this life after that. There's never any getting off Chuck's ride. And this is just the first go-around of that, where they're both recommitted to this, Yes, we can see the light, you know, thinking that there is a hope or a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's the point that should have been delivered on in a series finale. That there was eventually a light at the end of the tunnel once they got past this entire loop of story that went on for 15 years. You don't tell a story for 15 years and then go back and repeat episode 11 as the series finale. You give them that light that they had been hunting for and they never get it and it's just depressing as fuck and here i am look look at me i am the never-ending loop (laughs) shutting up now (sighs) shutting up at least until next week when we will be talking about one of the episodes that if you ask me to name my top five episodes of supernatural this is usually on the list season one episode 12 faith Because we've talked about Sam and Dean and their personal faith a little bit up to this point, like in Hookman, when they were introduced to the concept of religious faith, or we were introduced to their concept of religious faith. But this is the episode that takes what could have been a show about something small, about various myths around the country, and then maybe climaxing with them, killing a demon that killed their mother and getting their revenge and that could have been the entire show this is an episode that says wait a second this show could be about something so much bigger and begins to introduce a much larger mythology and basically puts dean in a central role in the story like to this point sam had been the one who was tied to the mythology of the story by having psychic powers that we still haven't had explained yet at this point but in faith Dean should have died in that episode. Dean was scheduled to die in episode 12 and he did and the entire rest of the series he's just as as death would eventually tell him an abomination for having defied the natural order and come back from the dead, basically. Uh, I love this episode so much. So I cannot wait to get to that one next week. And oddly enough, it's a- even though Dean nearly dies, it is a much more uplifting episode for me to discuss than this week's episode, which was basically just me wanting to grab Sam by the face and just go, why? Stop it. <laughs> so at least that, that portion of, of this season is past now and we can move on anyway until next week you can always find me on tumblr at George or Mittens morgul and i'm always happy to talk to everybody about everything i uh, said in a post on tumblr earlier today that i was thinking about at the end of season one doing some sort of special episode like maybe like questions and answers so if anyone has any questions you'd like me to specifically address that either I haven't addressed or you want me to clarify something or talk about something entirely unrelated or just like want to ask me what I had for lunch today. Um, I had jumble eye for lunch. It was really good. Uh, but like (laughs) totally willing to talk about anything. So if anyone has questions, you can either send them to one of my tumblers or you can join us on the discord server where I'm happy to talk about anything anytime just let me know. Hit me up on Tumblr and I will get you a link to the Discord. Until next week then, I hope everybody has a lovely week. Uh, Don't tie anyone up in apple orchards and don't sacrifice people to old gods for for pie. You know, like, if anyone wants a really good apple pie recipe, also hit me up for that because... It's better than having to kill people for it. Always a better option. <laughs> Nidal.